going to read from Psalm 20, and uh, the title of the talk this morning is We Trust in God. So uh, let's read this psalm and then ask that God would speak to us through it. Psalm 20, at verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and we lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you'd help us to be able to unpack this psalm and find things in it that will challenge and encourage and build us up, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 20 is commonly regarded as a royal psalm, and the context here was probably King David was marshalling the troops for battle. Uh, And in Israel in those days, before they went out to battle, king and priests and people would gather together and offer sacrifices to God and worship him and then go into battle. It may seem very foreign to our 21st century ears, although in more recent times we have heard from another religion the concept of jihad or holy war. Uh, And we know that sometimes religion can be mixed up with the things that people do on the battlefield. But one of the things that we maybe sometimes miss in our understanding of the Old Testament world was that it was the experience of the Israelites, and this is very uh, general in, in the way I'm putting it, but the experience of the Israelites was that when they sought to settle in the land God had promised to them, they faced opposition. And that was opposition that God had warned them that they would face. And he really told them that if they were obedient to him, they would find blessings and the ability to possess and stay in the land. And right through the history of the children of Israel, in in simplistic terms, when they obeyed God and worshipped him as the God of gods and King of kings and Lord of lords, then it seemed that he helped them in battle and they were victorious and they were able to dwell in the land securely. On the other hand, when they began to worship other gods, and when they began to drift away from God and cool in their ardor for worshiping him, then it seemed that God allowed other nations to come in, defeat them in battle, carry them off into exile, uh, and so forth. And of course, David looks to one greater than him in some ways, Some people interpret this psalm as a messianic psalm pointing to David's greater son, Jesus, who would bring a different and a higher level of understanding of life and battle and opposition and security. 
We don't face the kind of opposition that the children of Israel face. They faced threats to their physical existence. They faced threats to their nation being destroyed. And when they turned to God, they discovered that God would hear their prayers. We may not face that kind of opposition, but I want to say that we often face opposition in the world through what some describe as the flesh in terms of our own sinfulness. You know, the kind of thing that the Apostle Paul talked about, he said, whenever he wanted to do good, evil lay close at hand. And we often say, without realizing that Paul is the author of these words, oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we have that idea in our heads and in our hearts and in our minds that when we want to do the right thing and we know what the right thing is to do, so often we blow it and we fail to act as we should. So we face, in one sense, opposition from within what the Apostle Paul might have called the flesh. We also face opposition as Christians from those who uh, deliver a secular or humanist point of view into our world that has the very erudite teaching of Richard Dawkins from a scientific anti-Christian, anti-God point of view. We have authors like Philip Pullman who in his writings inverts the Christian story saying that the devil has had a bad press and the real enemy is God and he inverts the whole Christian story in a very clever way but in a very sinister way in my view. And so we we find that there's opposition to the Christian life. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. And I I, I wonder in the familiarity of these words, you just gloss over them. This is what he says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against people who oppose us, not against others who do bad things, but our, our struggle is against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, Paul says there is a struggle in the Christian life, and that struggle is not just on the level plane of the earth that we live on, but is a spiritual struggle, a supernatural struggle, and the devil is the enemy of God, the force of evil in the heavenly realms. So imagine the scene for King David as he brings the priests together and the people together and the soldiers together and they're standing there with their swords and their spears and their shields and their weapons and their chariots and so forth. And he leads the people in prayer. And he leads the people in worship. And I think there are things that we can learn from this psalm that hopefully will help us today. And here's A number of things very, very quickly. Number one, God answers prayer. Verse one, may the Lord answer you when you're in distress. What do you trust in when you're in trouble? Where do you go to? Where do you run? Is prayer the first resort or is it the last resort? Now, I'm not old enough to remember the Second World War, but I was born after the Second World War, Some of you may think I'm a lot older than that, but really I'm quite young. But I'm told that the churches were full. I'm told that there are churches in Belfast that you had to queue to get into in the mornings during the Second World War because the nation was facing 
extinction. Extinction of the way of life as we knew it. It was facing a a takeover of the world by the Nazi onslaught, and the churches were full of people praying. And the history of the West since the Second World War has been that the attendance of people at church has been dropping and dropping and dropping. In other words, when people were at an end of themselves, when people knew that the nation was under threat of extinction, they got on their knees before Almighty God. When we, and I did live through the troubles, as many of you did, what we euphemistically call the troubles, it always perplexed me and interested me that on the one hand I think there's an untold story of much work that was done by churches and, and groups of Christians meeting with people, trying to help bring reconciliation. But I did not see the churches full of people praying for an end to the troubles. It's a sign of God's grace that we are where we are today. And therefore, I, I kind of wonder how we are as God's people about prayer. God answers prayer. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. When we come to an end of ourselves, when we face difficulty and could do nothing other than cast ourselves on the Lord, then he will answer our prayers. But he does answer prayer. Oh, sometimes I wish he'd answer it yesterday. But he does answer prayer. And David recognized that and knew that. And then also in verse 1 of Psalm 20, God sends his protection. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. This was a a lovely phrase for people in the Old Testament. Whenever the name of the God of Jacob was mentioned, it it was not this high, almighty, uh, powerful, omnipotent God that was being talked about, but the God who entered into covenant relationship personally with Jacob and others. And so when David says, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. He's saying, may the God who loves you and knows you personally and is concerned for you as an individual, may he protect you. But one of the perplexing things for me as a Christian is the extent to which people who do the right thing live as they should before God and live conspicuously Christian lives, often suffer from persecution, personal tragedy, illness, or other distress. And when you look back into Scripture, Joseph, Jeremiah, the Apostle Paul, John the Baptist, many biblical characters ended up in jail. John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus was crucified, Stephen was martyred, and so forth. God's protection didn't stop his people facing jail and suffering and illness and death. And so his protection is not a kind of magic that means we never have to face difficulties or even lose our lives, but his protection goes beyond matters and questions of life and death. It was Jesus who reminded us that we need not fear anyone who can kill our bodies, but rather God who alone can consign body and soul to hell. Yet the very name of the God of Jacob will protect us. Personal God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, of our own selves, will protect us. For you see, the truth is that God has established a moral universe. 
And that is a very important thing for us Christians to understand. If we live in a moral universe, then there is retribution for those who do wrong and there is justification for those who do right. And we understand that God will bring down the wicked and exalt and raise up the righteous. And we understand that he protects us, that even if our lives are lost, we will still reign with him in eternity. And the third thing I think we learn from this is that God provides. Verse 2, may he send you help from the sanctuary. Here's this picture of God indwelling Zion, the holy city, and he is not an armchair general sitting at home whilst the troops go out alone to battle. When we draw near to God, he promises to draw near to us. I love to tell the story, forgive the repetition, of a man who's now in glory with whom I spent a week of my life in spiritual retreat. And Alec told me the story that one time he was on his own doing some outreach work in the Docklands area of London. And uh, you, you may take this story as fantastical and not possibly true, but this was told to me by one of the godliest men I've ever met. And he said that as he was speaking to a man who was under the influence of drugs, he drew a knife and made to lunge that knife into Alec's heart. And Alex says he saw an angel of God come between him and the man. And he pushed the knife into the angel and not into Alec. And the knife dropped and the man ran off. But Alex says he saw an angel of the Lord protecting him. Well, believe that or believe it not. But God provides. And I believe that he provides sometimes supernaturally. You see, my, my difficulty is not believing a story like that. My difficulty is what happens when John the Baptist was beheaded. What happened when Stephen was martyred? Why, why did God not intervene like that to help them? And I just don't know the answer. But we're talking about God providing, whether it's protection or whatever we need. And I was thinking back over some of the things in the past number of years. We began a major building scheme just before the credit crunch. And some wondered, would God provide? Now, we're still a long way to go till we have our building paid off, but God is providing. And we enjoy these facilities because God is providing through your generosity. But maybe some of us are not involved in that. We need to think of that. Are we part of what God would use to provide? We have taken on uh, a new associate minister and all the costs associated with that would leave that God will provide. And some of us sitting here will remember back a number of years ago when we moved into the new building and reactivated and, and, and we were quite concerned about the cost of that with the building uh, and uh, all that was happening with speakers coming from Canada and from England and all over the place and expenses. It was, I think, about £17,000 to put on. And I wondered, would God provide? And I think we got about 17,100 and something pounds in. God provided. And you see, whatever we look at in our lives, and when I look back over my own life and the times when things have been difficult, God has always provided what we needed. 
He provides not our greeds, but our needs. And then fourthly, God sends his power. Verse 2. Now, we're working through the Sabbath. It looks very slow. It'll be speeding up in a minute. God sends his power. Verse 2. May he grant you support from Zion. Headquarters is there to give us support. You know the way an electrical appliance can actually be plugged into the wall, but if it's not switched on, the power can't flow through it. And if we're not accessing the power available to us, we will not benefit. How do we switch on the power? By utilizing the practice of prayer and the reading of and the meditating upon Scripture. You want support from Zion? You need spiritual backup from headquarters for the battles that you face? Then pray and read God's Word. By these means, God's presence is actualized in our lives, and by the power of His Spirit, He is able to flow through us and speak to us and build us up and encourage us and challenge us. And when we face difficulties or opposition, it's the man or the woman who's had a long habit of practicing a devotional life who will survive. When our devotional life is a habit, then we're prepared for battle. That's why Paul said to Christians in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, pray without ceasing. <coughs> Fifth thing I think we learned from the psalm is this. God receives our worship. Verse 3, may he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Does God miss you when you're not at church? I think he does. Does our coming to church represent brownie points that we can score in impressing God? No. But he sees the acts of worship that we bring to him in church on a Sunday. He sees the acts of worship that we bring when we speak lovingly to colleagues at work, when we work with integrity and honesty, when we give a full day's work for a full day's pay. He sees the act of worship when we do the little things at home that nobody notices or says thank you for. He sees the acts of worship that you do that absolutely nobody even knows about except you and God. He sees everything, and he receives our worship. Isn't it wonderful that God sees and accepts our worship? Oh, you know my worship. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, really, because you're just like me. My worship is stained. It's stained with wrong motives, with wrong attitudes, with can't be bothered, It's stained with all kinds of things, with thoughts away places that they shouldn't be. It's stained. But God accepts our worship. I think that's brilliant. Come prepared to worship. Don't take it casually. But think through what we're doing as we come to worship God week by week. He accepts and receives our worship. And verse 4 then tells us that God directs our plans. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. I know the desires of my heart. What about you? And there's some desires of my heart that I have ached over for years without seeing God work the desires of my heart that God has 
heard and answered and done something about, sometimes spectacularly outside of my understanding or reasoning or, or, or suddenly and unexpectedly. But will God give you the desires of your heart? What are the desires of your heart? What do you trust in? Is the desire of your heart to be rich, to have substantial property and assets? Or are the desires of your heart to love God more? Are the desires of your heart to see those who do not know Jesus come to know Jesus? And the biggest desires of my heart would be for some of my family who don't know Jesus. And I'm puzzled and perplexed as to why God doesn't answer those prayers more quickly. But God directs our plans. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. When we make up our minds to be obedient to God and listen to his voice and follow as we believe God directs, then we will understand what desires our hearts should have and he will grant those to us. And God gives us victory. I love this. Verse 5. We will shout for joy when you are victorious. We will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. He gives us victory. Never let's get ahead of ourselves and think that because we've got great facilities and great leaders and great this and great that, that somehow we've cracked something. We need to be dependent on God, for God alone gives us victory. And as we finish, I want to read what I believe was David's personal response. Uh, I think the first six verses or the first five verses were what the king was leading with the priests in the worship of Israel. And then if you notice the change, you know, verse 5 is, we will shout. And then verse 6 says, now I know the Lord saves his anointed. I think, I may be wrong, but I think this is King David speaking. I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. And, and then here's the challenge. He says, some trust in chariots. And chariots of those days were tanks, like the Turkish tanks that have rolled into Syria. Powerful, strong. Some trust in chariots and some in horses and the cavalry. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And here's a, a king standing in front of an army, an army ready to do battle. And he says, you may trust in your chariots and your weapons and your horses. Some may do that, but we trust in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are you trusting in this morning? Money? Your job? Your family? your abilities, your friends, a partner, what is most important to you in life? David's response was very clear. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I think rather that verse 9 in the psalm is probably a kind of benediction from the people shouting to King David, Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. And I think that's what God is doing here. Our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. He is our creator. 
our Redeemer, our Savior, our Sustainer. He is the source of our forgiveness, the giver of hope. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the shepherd of the flock, the great high priest. He is our advocate. He justifies us. He makes us holy. He's adopted us into his, fa- into his family. He's made us our friend. He's our big brother. He is Lord and he is head of the church and he is the coming King. And our trust is in the name of the Lord who is so great that one name is not sufficient. Let's pray. Lord, may it not just be when we are in distress that we will come to you, but may we trust you for everything that we need in life, here and now. And may we bring anything that is outside of Christ to you now, things that we trust in, that we lean on, that are not of you. For truth be told, people, possessions, money, jobs, everything that we own can soon be taken away from us. When we come to an end of ourselves, we lay ourselves before you and say we trust in the name of our Lord God Almighty. So just take a moment if there's anything that blocks your ability to trust in God above and beyond everything and everyone else, bring that to the God who hears and answers prayer. Father God, may we Trust in you as the God who works in our lives and in our community and in our world. We are perplexed by many things that we see and by some things that we do not see. Yet we will still trust in you. And by faith we believe that we will see you work not only in our own lives but in this church, in our community in East Belfast, in Northern Ireland, in Ireland, to the ends of the world. By faith we believe that you're king of the world and you work through us to the ends of the earth. Help us to believe that and to see ourselves as part of your unfolding story, the his story of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.